So far, he has not emerged anywhere. And I've actually tried to figure out whether he's hired a PR person. There are things that Chapek could say about Iger that would be newsworthy and could explain a lot. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, November 30th, and today, Matt Bellany is here with the latest on Bob Iger's takeover of Disney. Iger held a town hall with employees this week and outlined some of his plans for the media giant, but also what he plans not to do. Matt has all the details from inside the Iger universe. Who's up, who's down, and what's next? And later on, Eric Gardner is here to discuss the involvement of Uber litigator David Boyce in a mysterious lawsuit targeting Larry David, Tom Brady, and other celebrity spokespeople who endorsed the crypto exchange FTX. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad Bed Cooling System is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life happy wednesday everybody i'm joined today by the illustrious matt bellany my fellow founding partner at puck illustrious i'll take it (laughs) you are man everyone loves you every i would not say everyone i get some hate i get a lot of hate that's true actually i have a funny story I have a friend who works in entertainment. He texted me some nice compliments about Puck and said, you guys are killing it. Everyone's reading Puck here in Hollywood. I was like, oh, let me know if you want to ever be connected with Matt. And he was like, I absolutely do not want to be connected with Matt in any way. (laughs) (laughs) Why? I'm so friendly in person. I know, I know. You know, the smart, smart operators stay away from the press. You know who doesn't stay away from the press? Bob Iger. At least he's in the press. (laughs) Matt, I feel like you get this stuff better than anyone. You have a piece up on Puck about 
the changing of the bobs, uh, the Iger succession. <laughs> the re-succession. I haven't come up with a good name of what to call this. It's like the re the re-succession or the unsuccession. I'm calling it changing of the bobs for now. That's pretty good. So uh, obviously, if you listen to Puck, if you read Puck, if you listen to The Town, which is Matt's other podcast about what's going on in the industry here in L.A., you know that Bob Iger has re-successioned <laughs> into Disney booting his handpicked successor from before, Bob Chapek, in the process. So what's next? So on Monday, there was a town hall where Iger got to address his subjects, so to speak, and or his cast members, as they call them, on the Burbank <laughs> lot. That's right. And he, uh, he was pretty... Can he had a lot of candor for a CEO coming into this job, or at least people felt like he was honest with them. He said, listen, these are challenging times. And he recognized that this is not the same company that he left as CEO in 2020. The entire stock market has soured on the streaming video business. And it's, you know, it's going to be a lot of difficult choices. He said they're going to keep the hiring freeze in place. He said he's not going to go out and buy any companies right now as People speculated that he might go out and do because this is a guy who built Disney over 15 years with Marvel and Pixar and Lucasfilm and Fox and all of these companies that he bought to become the powerhouse that Disney is. And he said, we're not going to go out and do that. He also dismissed speculation that he's going to sell the company to Apple, which has been this weird narrative over the past couple of weeks. I never quite got it because... I think that would invite a lot of regulatory scrutiny. And Tim Cook has never said that they want to have Disney in the fold. And he's never been a particularly acquisitive person. He sort of denied the speculation without outright saying that it will never happen. He told employees that he cares very deeply about LGBTQ issues, which was obviously a backhanded swipe at his predecessor who got into that big fight with the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, over the Don't Say Gay bill. And he kind of said all the right things, got a standing ovation at the end. Oh, this was in person. Oh, yeah. This was him on the lot in his cardigan and his crisp white shirt that he's known for. He is very well dressed. One thing you wrote about, Matt, is whether he will move anyone into like a president or CEO role, like a sort of deputy, I guess. Who's in the mix for that? It doesn't matter. It does matter because every decision that Iger makes over the next year or so is going to be viewed through the lens of possible succession. Because remember, the board brought him back for what they say is a two-year venture here. It could be longer, and knowing him, it likely will be. But he's supposed to right the ship strategically, and he's supposed to find and identify and help select a successor. That is a stated and core duty of his job. So how is he going to do that? Because obviously he had big problems last time and the guy they ultimately picked was not the guy. So how do you do that? You do that by identifying someone internally or multiple people and giving them a job, giving them some kind of a raised profile, whether it be a, a number two or a COO or you take two executives and you have them swap jobs like he did in 2015, where he had the CFO of the company switch jobs with the head of the parks division in kind of a bake-off where he was evaluating whether they could deftly take over a division that they were not, they didn't have expertise in. Ultimately, that worked. He selected Tom Staggs from that bake-off. 
but then decided that Staggs wasn't ready for the top job or he wasn't ready to leave. And then Staggs left. It worked in theory, but then it was botched in practice. He could do that again. He could take someone like Dana Walden, who runs the content group, and switch her with someone like Josh DeMauro, who runs the parks group, or take a CFO and put the CFO in charge of parks or something like that. Or he could just say, this is the heir apparent and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure this person succeeds. Uh, we don't know what he's going to do, but he has he has options. What do you see, Matt, as his like number one priority right now? Like stepping in the next three months, like what does he need to do to like change things there? This is a pretty clear answer. And I think that he articulated it to the staff. He believes that the company got away from its core mission, which is based on creativity and storytelling. When Chapek took over the company, he reorganized it around streaming. And what he did is he took power away from the creative executives and gave it to this new division called Disney Media Entertainment Distribution, DMED, which was an effort to streamline the operation of the company and make it so that one executive team led by this guy, Kareem Daniel, decided where all the content that Disney was producing would go. So it's this team that decided that a Pixar movie like Turning Red would not get a theatrical release. It would go directly to Disney+. Plus. It would decide that whether shows went to ABC or Disney+, Plus or Hulu, or whether there would be movies made directly for the service or for theaters. And Iger really didn't like that. He thought that the creative leaders should be the ones that are determining where their content goes and, more importantly, setting the budgets and being responsible and accountable for the content they make. So that's what he's going to do over the next three months. He's going to undo that reorg and put power back in the hands of the creatives, which he believes will help the overall strength of the company. Do you have a sense of what he or other people at the company think about this animated movie, Strange World, <laughs> this big Disney release that released over Thanksgiving weekend and totally bombed? I think they had I don't know, it made like... $20 million against like $150 million of production and marketing. I uh, know it was, it made $18 million over the weekend and it cost $180 million. Oh my God. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah. Even with total disaster. And this is a perfect example of the problems with the distribution focus strategy, because that was a Chapek and Kareem Daniel decision to send that movie to theaters. I think I've actually seen the movie. I have a six-year-old kid, so we went this past weekend. It's not good. I know the critics liked it. It sets a, a high bar for representation and for, you know, the themes are themes that film critics can get behind. But my kid didn't really like it. And it didn't have those hooks that make it theatrical. There was no music. There was nothing, you know, historically, sci-fi animated movies don't do that well. Disney's had misses with, like, Treasure Planet and Titans AE and things like that. It just didn't scream theatrical hit in a way that last year's Thanksgiving release, Encanto, which had music by Lin-Manuel Miranda and was a more traditional Disney animated movie, did. And that movie didn't even do that well because of COVID, I think. But that's a perfect example because Iger probably looks at that movie and said, this should never have gone to theaters in the first place. Or it should have been reconceived or you know made better or whatever. But... I think that in the future, you're going to see much smarter deployment of the Disney assets. I think a movie like Turning Red from Pixar could have done well 
in theaters, if it had gone to theaters. I think a movie like Hocus Pocus 2, which set records on streaming when it debuted there in early October, that movie probably could have done well in theaters if it had been given a chance, especially in this country, maybe not overseas. But those are the things that creative people should have a bigger voice in. And I think under Iger, they're going to. Where's Chapek in all this? Is he like going around town bitching about Iger or is he just sort of zipping his mouth and riding off into the sunset? So far, he has not emerged anywhere. And I've actually tried to figure out whether he's hired a PR person. Often these people, when they are pushed out of a job, they will hire a PR person to guide them. That I don't believe has happened yet. And listen, there are things that Chapek could say about Iger that would be newsworthy and could explain a lot. I mean, it's still never been explained how Iger just abruptly stepped down in February of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. There's a lot of speculation that he had inside intel from their business in China that COVID was going to be a huge deal and that he should probably get out when he did. There's a lot of things that Chapek could say publicly. I'm sure he has a non-disparagement clause in his exit agreement. We'll also see if he gets a big payout. There's a, a, a lot of speculation that he might be paid a lot of money to go away here. So I don't think we've seen the last of him, but I doubt, I do doubt we'll see him do a big on the record interview somewhere for a while. That's not really the Disney way, um, but we'll see. <laughs> not the Disney way. Not for their, what are they, not for a cast member from Disney. A cast member no, would never not do such all. a thing. <laughs> no, they, well, they, they usually stab people in the back. Listen, the CEO succession process at Disney has been a huge problem from going all the way back to Walt Disney fighting with his brother in, you know, in the 40s and 50s. Like, this is not, I mean, Michael Eisner had to literally get a shareholder vote to get him out because he wouldn't step down. He had a number of chances to give power to a, a successor, including Iger. And Iger would, couldn't take over in, in 2005 until a shareholder revolt led by Roy Disney got Eisner out. So there's a long history. Iger himself retired and unretired like four times before he left. Something about this job as CEO of the Walt Disney Company, people do not want to leave it. It's a real problem. These guys are hanging on to these jobs far longer than the previous generations. And I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. People retire later. And there may not be the bench. There may not be these wonderkin executives in media and entertainment like there was a generation ago. These people might be in tech. They might be elsewhere. And, you know, it's just less sexy in this industry. So there's a lot of factors there. If you're in your 20s or 30s today, you know, you look at how to create wealth, what's fun as, long, as well as being influential. Like you want to start something or you want to like, you don't want to like go over to like a huge legacy media company that's like larded down with like all kinds of just like different departments and you want to do something fun. Running Disney doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it has its days, but you know what? The barriers to entry in the startup world are just better and the upside is there. And I don't know that the upside in Hollywood is quite what it once was. That's a big statement coming from you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much. We love having you on. No problem. When we come back, Ben Landy asks Eric Gardner why David Boyce, Tom Brady, and FTX are all in the same lawsuit together. Welcome back. I'm Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. 
And joining me today is Eric Gardner, our legal world correspondent. Hey, Eric, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. Good to be with you again. So we've been talking a lot in the last couple days and weeks about the collapse of FTX, the cryptocurrency exchange, and Sam Bankman-Fried, the 30-year-old former multi-billionaire founder who famously joked at one point that crypto tokens uh, were not unlike Ponzi schemes before it was revealed that he was running a sort of Ponzi-esque scheme himself, perhaps. When you have a massive corporate financial implosion like this, bankruptcy, allegations of fraud, what have you, lost customer deposits, you're of course going to get lawsuits. But I was hoping that you could talk a little bit today about possibly the strangest lawsuit that we have seen so far, which is a lawsuit targeting FTX's celebrity spokespeople like Larry David, which to me seems like a bit of a stretch. But you have some insight into what's going on here and, and what might be happening. Yeah. So these celebrities, they, uh, you know, taped commercials for, for FTX. Uh, you know, some were, you know, the Golden State Warriors. And then you'd have like Larry David, who taped the Super Bowl commercial. And now they're, uh, they've become defendants, uh, basically, uh, you know, for an alleged conspiracy to commit securities fraud, to commit uh, unfair trade practices. And, you know, it's, it's very rare to see you know, celebrity pitchmen actually being hauled into court for the acts of, of a corporation. But that's what's happened here. So who's actually behind this lawsuit? Well, it's a, a shareholder in the, in the middle of the country. But what's the surprising thing here is that actually it's a world-famous lawyer, David Boyce, who's representing the plaintiff. So, you know, immediately it becomes a pretty serious lawsuit to look at. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't find any cases where a celebrity pitchman has actually been held liable. But here we have David Boyes, who, you know, as we know, represented Gore during the 2000 fight. He has a long, illustrious legal history. So if he believes that there's something going on here, it's something to t- take seriously. The Boyes angle is so fascinating to me. Uh, I mean, you mentioned um, some of the cases he was involved in, also Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, Harvey Weinstein. He also represented some of Jeffrey Epstein's victims, the U.S. government antitrust case against Microsoft. Are you surprised to see his name attached to this lawsuit? And, and do you have any kind of theory as to what he's doing here? Uh, yeah, first of all, I was really surprised. Let me first describe the problems with this lawsuit, and then I'll give you my theory about you know what he might be up to. The problems with this lawsuit is, you know, first of all, he's going to need to show that the, the plaintiff actually relied on, say, Larry David's Super Bowl commercial or, you know, whatever Shaquille O'Neal said about partnering with FTX. The plaintiff is going to have to say, you know, those were the reasons why he decided to sign up with the FTX platform and begin trading there. That's something that I, I haven't seen yet in the complaint, and, and that could be a problem. The second thing is that I think that the plaintiffs are probably going to have to show that there was some knowingness by the celebrities about what was going on at FTX. You know, if I, I don't know whether it was a Ponzi scheme or whether there was fraud. We'll, we'll find out that at, that at some point. But, you know, to say that these celebrities did know, you know, something besides just that this was crypto stretches the imagination. I'm sure that David Boys and the, and the plaintiffs, you know, hope that they can at least just get past the initial dismissal phase and, and get into discovery and, and find out all that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that's going to be a challenge for them. So so what's what's really happening here? Well, my theory is that. FDX declared bankruptcy, and that put a stop to all sorts of lawsuits against the, the company itself. Uh, it, it, in bankruptcy, it's called an automatic stay, 
where you can't sue FTX right now. You can only file claims in in, in the bankruptcy court. Eventually, um, there might be a, an orderly process to to do litigation, but at this point, you can't really sue FTX. So what is happening is, you know, plaintiffs' lawyers, not just David Boys. I've seen a couple other lawsuits since the David Boys uh, suit came out, uh, trying the same thing. Is they're suing people around FTX. They're su- suing uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. They're su- suing these celebrity sponsors. But what's interesting about the celebrity sponsors, I think, is that you know I haven't seen their contracts yet with with FTX. But I wouldn't be surprised if there was some sort of indemnification if the FTX platform decided to you know hold responsibility for what happened to these celebrities. And then I'm sure that there are insurers who, are, who might come forward to be responsible for their side of it. So this could be, you know, a, a, you know, a long play, uh, not necessarily to win the case, but to get a stake in, in, in the pot, to have insurers come forward, maybe to provoke settlements, to provoke maybe secured claims down the line. We'll see. It seems like if this case were to set some kind of precedent, it would put an absolute chill on celebrity endorsements in general for just about everything. I mean... You just sort of imagine the due diligence that Taylor Swift would have to do if she had to analyze the ingredients in Diet Coke before cutting a commercial for them. It's sort of hard to imagine how the celebrity endorsement game would actually survive if you could bring cases like this. Whatever happens, it's certainly entertaining and um, a sort of amusing footnote to that Larry David commercial. <laughs> Eric, thanks for stopping by. As always, we will be watching to see what happens. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.